it's yonder. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode two of the Yonder podcast. I haven't gotten sick of that music yet. I'm still enjoying it. Self-indulgent, I admit. <laughs> this week, we have Rodolphe Dutel on the podcast. Uh, Rodolphe is the uh, director of operations at Buffer. Um, Buffer's a really cool company uh, with some really interesting business practices. We'll talk all about that. Um, and uh, and they have a really great product. Um, if you're if you use social media, if you want to get serious about yourself with social media, you should definitely check out Buffer.com, uh, which allows you to queue up, create a buffer of all your social media pushing off to all. It's like a hub for everything for Instagram now and uh, Pinterest and and Facebook and Twitter and you can have all your accounts in one place and uh, it's great great stuff check it out uh, Rodolph also uh, uh, runs remotive.io um, which is a, a website um, mostly a mailing list at this point um, focused around remote work um, and so that might be another thing for you to check out go sign up there uh, but don't stop signing up there um, you should also follow yonder on our various social links uh, we've just launched a Facebook page um, which you can find on Facebook you just type in yonder and you'll you'll find it eventually uh, we have a mailing list at yonder.io and of course subscribe to the podcast uh, there's iTunes links and uh, Stitcher and uh, Google Play all that kind of stuff you can you can sign up uh, and and make sure that when new podcasts come out you get them because that's important uh, on Twitter uh, yonder is at yondercon and I am at J Jeff J J E F F. Uh, yeah. Um, Rodolphe joins us from uh, Paris. He's a French guy. Has a great French accent, and I'm sure you're gonna love this interview. Rodolphe Dutel, welcome to Yonder. Uh, Thanks for thanks for joining us on uh, the first interview on this new podcast. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Sounds good. Um, so you work at Buffer. What what is your title there? Uh, I look I look after operations at Buffer. So I am um, operations director. I look after legal, finance, accounting, um, and compliance as well. Wow. <laughs> That's a whole bunch of stuff. Why don't you tell? I I, I know what Buffer does. Buffer is a, a great product uh, that we've used at Lullabot for quite quite a few years now. Um, tell us, tell listeners though, uh, what you do or what Buffer does. Yeah, so Buffer is uh, the easiest way to share on social media. So if you are an individual or a small business, we assist you to share on social media. Meaning, if you have a great piece of content, such as this blog, for instance. 
um, through Buffer, a little piece of software, you can share it to many different social networks, the largest one there are, and multiple times in the future. So we allow you to plan your presence on social media. Cool. And and Buffer also has a few like sub-product things that you guys have launched as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. So we assist people to create images through Pablo, which is the best way to create a social media image under 30 seconds. Very, very quick way to give a visual to your uh, social media presence. And the uh, last, last project we're running right now is called Respawn. So Respawn is a tool to do customer service on Twitter. So if you have a shop or brand, you can plug in Respawn and start interacting with people uh, through, through uh, this customer service logic. But that's not all. You also run a website called Remotive, uh, which has a, a mailing list. And uh, tell us about that, too. <laughs> yeah, so I was lucky enough to start working at Buffer in 2014. And, and Buffer at Buffer, everyone works remotely. So we don't have set offices. We don't have a lease anywhere. So today we have about 80 people working from anywhere and everywhere. And to me, it was very interesting to get to learn how to work remotely, how to work by myself. Yeah. So I started to document those learnings and put them on a website called Remotive, remotive.io. Um, and it slowly grew to a mailing list. And today we have about 20,000 subscribers. And aside from this, we just created a community as well um, with about 200 to 300 people uh, that, that are chatting on Slack right now about tips, about jobs. And uh, it also acts as a... Um, virtual water cooler, if you may. Cool. Yeah, and that's at remotive.io. Um, and people can go there and sign up for the mailing list. And they can find the Slack community at... Uh, yeah, on the same website. Same we, we, website. All, we also have the job board in there. So cool. got you covered. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, this is great. Um, let's see. Well, let's, let's talk a bit about sort of Buffer and their relationship to being remote i guess first of all like how how big is buffer these days how many people work at buffer so buffer has 85 employees uh, about half of them are working in the u.s and the rest are internationally uh working from from any any country there are so so we're pretty spread out with people in africa europe asia and and south america as well uh again we don't have offices and and we strive to meet once a year so once a year we go on retreats and interact everyone flies to that single location and, and we start interacting together and you're in paris yes that's correct so i live in paris at most times and i'm lucky enough to go traveling uh, if i want to which is great right on cool i was reading on your uh, your linkedin page that you're a you're a, a sailor <laughs> that's right i've been uh experimenting with sailing for a bit and uh, I did uh, professional training in South Africa a few years back. That's so cool. You can work from a sailboat, at least theoretically. A lot of these things sort of like in practice, you know, you could work from anywhere, you could work from a sailboat, but oftentimes I find when I actually get to those places, I, I'm not as motivated to work as I would as I would have hoped. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, this is a great one about environment. I think there's a startup by the name of Coboat. I think it's coboat.org. And they're starting a co-working space that's on an actual catamaran. So you could arguably go sail and work. Although although myself, I, I really like to uh, disconnect when I'm on the water and just uh, do something else. Yeah, I mean, a, a, big, a big discussion around remote work uh, is um, 
sort of the work-life balance, right? Uh, people say, oh, it's so great that you get to work from home. And I often will say, well, yeah, but I also live at work. Uh, and so it's a matter of kind of finding that balance. Um, and so arguably, if you bring your work on vacation with you, you're not really on vacation. Um, yeah. So how, how, uh, how old is Buffer? And, and kind of... Um, are you familiar, like, what do you know about sort of how it, how it was decided to become, you know, kind of distributed company? Sure. So Buffer started in 2011 and founders are coming from Europe. This is an Englishman and a person, and the other co-founder is from Austria. And they started the, 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 the company in a bedroom somewhere in the UK and quickly thereafter they moved to San Francisco. So you have two Europeans flying to the US to create a company. So I think it was already part of the company's DNA to be to be distributed and to be moving on moving around quite a bit. Uh, they went through AngelPad, which is an incubator in San Francisco. Uh, but what happened is they they the visa ran out. So they had to leave the country. They had a legit business just in the US, but they had to go someplace else. So they went to Hong Kong, they went to Tel Aviv in Israel, and de facto, they became a distributed company. Wow, that's a really interesting origin story. Uh, yeah. Um, and so, so Buffer's never really had an office except for, I, I suppose, at the incubator, really, right? So I think at the very start, there was the incubator. And, and, and I guess two years later, in 2013, Buffer used to have a small office in downtown San Francisco where about eight people will live in San Francisco and some of them will come to the office. But interestingly enough, we, we realized that not everyone would go to the office, although you, you may be visiting San Francisco or just live there. And, and at some point, people started working from home or um, you know traveling for a few days, few weeks, or a few months at a time outside of San Francisco. And soon enough, it just appeared that only one or two people <laughs> would go to the office every week to uh, pick up the mail. So uh, it, it wouldn't quite make sense to, to keep it anymore. Yeah, yeah. We found we, we had an office briefly with Lullabot as well and uh, had sort of a similar experience. People quickly sort of migrated out of the office. Right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I should also uh, ask, you know, one of the things I want to ask sort of everyone on this podcast is, is what terms do you use around, uh, you know, uh, um, originally people used the word telecommute, uh, then the word virtual, you know, virtual company kind of came into being. These days, it seems like the word remote is kind of the most popular word around this. I really like the word distributed, um, because remote sort of implies that there's some sort of a central hub, you know, it sort of has the same Latin roots as the word removed, mm -hmm. uh, and, and that, that you are removed from it, but distributed is a much more even, uh, kind of thing. You, uh, I, I know you run remotive. How, how do you tend to talk about this stuff? Yeah. So I really like distributed as well. I think it, it sort of mirrors how an organization or just a bunch of people are, all around the world or all around a single country. So I, I like that word better. It feels to me that um, remote has been quite um, popular lately. I think the, the, the book that was written by uh, the people that run Basecamp and, and now, um, you know, uh, about rework and, and remote 
really helped advocating for that term. So it took over a little bit. And then there's also been another one on semantics between nomads, people that will travel at all times with mm-hmm. their laptops and remote workers that would be a little bit more settled there. So it's interesting because there's no one really agrees what <laughs> telecommuters or remote workers should be called, but, but certainly I see it pick up quite a bit of interest in, to me, distributed or, or remote. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, tell me, like, what's... Uh, tell me about your culture at, at Buffer. Like, um, do you have a, a real-time culture where you're you're t- talking to each other a lot on uh, on video calls or, or audio conferences, or, or is it more... Um, uh, of a of a uh, asynchronous culture um, where where you're kind of communicating through emails and and online more um, and then and then just sort of generally kind of uh, how have you developed culture uh, at Buffer? Yeah, so culture is is a very very fascinating topic. Uh, I think I wasn't as familiar with culture before I joined Buffer. I mean, to me, culture was often what would be in a slash about page of a website a manifesto <laughs> or you know right. yeah uh, written, written just you stick a black on the wall and that that's what your values are but i think that distributed companies and, and buffer in particular uh since we don't get to see much of each other you get to see that culture is not what's what's on the wall it's what you live it's how people interact so right. i think that overall remote companies and distributed organization are very articulate about their cultures. And since all you have to link people together is how you interact, you, you really need to double down on this. So what happened with Buffer in particular is that um, culture was decided through 10 values um, that were decided upon quite a few years ago uh, by the by founding members. And since the company has been growing and since we're from everywhere, with variety of different cultures, we almost treat... Uh, values we have as a software update release. What that means is right now we, <laughs> we're running on uh, values, I think it, we're on 0.6, which means that's a iteration number six. So we want to be very, very uh, crystal clear about what it is we stand for, but we also want to leave empathy for the fact that as an organization going from 30 people a year ago to 90 people today, uh, we grew dramatically. So we need to make room for how the company is going to change and how people are going to interact together. Um, I like that. Yeah, I like yeah. that. I um, I've certainly found uh, you know, one of the things I felt like made Lullabot strong over the years was this sort of um, what I called like kind of an experimental nature to things that that because we didn't have an office because we weren't kind of doing the conventional things that conventional companies did we had to kind of keep thinking and rethinking and kind of redefining which kept it, everything very sort of um kind of malleable uh and and uh um and allowed us to kind of rethink things that uh that that perhaps most companies weren't uh rethinking um, and, and, uh, Buffer, one of the things that you guys have, have re- well, you've rethought transparency, I guess, in general, yeah. right? Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? There's some really interesting stuff that you guys have done. For sure. So, so to your point, when I think about culture, I often think about what do we default to? Like, I think the great example just shared about Lulbot is 
If the entire team defaults to curiosity, as in we are facing a question or a hardship, if you default to curiosity, you will pull together and, and find a solution that wasn't there before. Um, at Buffer, we try to default towards positivity and, and you know try to focus on positive upsides. And another thing we default towards is transparency. Um, what that means is whenever we have a piece of data or we're trying to make a decision, we, we, we make it public by default within the company and oftentimes uh, externally as well. I'd love to give you a few examples. Uh, and, and by default, everything we do should be public. We only ask ourselves a few times when, when things are very touchy, which means um, you know there are legal implication or privacy may be at stake as well. Essentially, we default to transparency for most things. So a few examples here. First, um, we, we, we came up with an idea of transparent salaries. So there's a spreadsheet that is uh, available online to anyone where each and every person working at Buffer has the salaries listed. And uh, the consequence of that is, is you don't really have um, salary negotiation. You don't really, you don't have any gender gap. And should you be interested about working at Buffer, you can project how much it is you would make based on where you live, what your experience level is, and a few other criteria there. Yeah, how's that been received? I mean, uh, obviously you're you're growing very quickly, so you're getting a lot of applicants. Is it is it appealing to people? It has been quite appealing. I think that the most stunning phrase I've heard a few times over by now is sometimes we release a little bit more about what we do internally at Buffer, such as salaries, diversity, or or uh, you know product engineering and, and so on and so forth. And in the comments, sometimes people will say, I feel like I know more about Buffer than I know about the company I'm actually working at right now. Yeah. Um, which which is very, uh, very much appreciated, I guess. Yeah. So, um, wow. So describe to me sort of... Uh, kind of the a typical day for a person at, at Buffer. Uh, um, if you were talking to someone, you know, who had a sort of conventional office-based job, like how, how do you, how do people communicate with each other? How do you hold meetings? Um, how, how does the work get done at Buffer? Yeah, that's a great one. So what often happens is uh, I have a coworker, uh, his name is Tom. He, he used to say, when I open Slack, or, or previously hip chat, a uh, communication tool that are, um, you know, chat, chat-based conversations. It feels like he's stepping into the office. So some of us will work from home, others form coffee shop or co-working space. Um, you, you, you often start to observe uh, business hours. So starting 9 a.m. local time, say, um, we have a internal forum uh, it's open source, his name is Discourse, where we list updates uh, that, that are only important for the team. And then you also have your, your typical mailbox. So how, how, yeah. how do you, how do you define local time? Like, <laughs> um, so we really try to encourage people to work and live in the local time. So we don't create project team based on, um, based on time zones. We trust that it will work. So what that means is people will organize themselves and, and you see amazing results happening. So at times it's super fast, which means that you work throughout the day and by the time you're about to stop working, someone else will take over and work through your night and then you can pick it up in the morning. 
And other times, uh, it's the other way around, where we may have to stay up until 11 p.m. to to chat with that person in Hawaii uh, if you're in Europe, which is 12 hour difference. So anything and everything can happen, and certainly want to make room for people enjoying their local lives and, and not be abiding to a certain set of business hours that will apply to everyone. Wow. Okay. So are so you're you're not talking on Skype or uh, um sure real-time communication too much are you yeah we we are at times so we we try to keep teams reasonably small i think we're trying to live by the jeff bezos rules which is you know your your team should be fed by a maximum of two pizzas otherwise the team is too big so (laughs) it oftentimes you get to work in teams in uh four to six people and that more often than that makes it very manageable for people to communicate so we use paper by Dropbox as a way to centralize our writing and copy-paste code, for instance. And then we use Zoom, uh, which is a equivalent to Google Hangout or Slack or Skype mm-hmm. uh, to, to hold meetings. And the smaller the team, the more frequently they meet. I think teams to, you know, two to four people often have daily stand-ups where they can chat and share news. And if the team is a little bit bigger, then it can be a weekly, all hands or or you'll space it out a little bit more. Um, we also have management in place, so we'll make sure that you check in with your manager uh, uh, about twice a week, really. So does Buffer also have uh, retreats and that type of thing? And how, how often do those happen? Yeah, we do have retreats. So at times we try and meet. Um, we try and meet about once a year or twice a year. And the spirit is that everyone will fly out to a single location and we'll spend about seven day or, or 10 days all together. And w- the most important part there will be team building. So in January, we're in Hawaii, for instance, and, and six months before that, we're in Reykjavik in Iceland. So it, it's a very, very cool way to get to meet people you've finally been you know, working with for, 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 for a few months. And, uh, and you see a pretty funny conversation taking place. Like people get surprised about each other's height, for instance. Like, <laughs> Ah, interesting. <laughs> and, and the funny thing I've heard the other day is, wow, I, I did not realize you had elbows. Because, you know, you always look at person through a computer Skype in your face. So you, you, you only see so much of a person. So, uh, yeah, that, that's pretty cool. Huh. Yeah. Um, are, there, uh, are there, do you feel like, um, you know, with this sort of sense of, of curiosity that, that you try to bring to um, the way of thinking about the company and the company culture, are there, has that brought other sorts of um, kind of buffer tricks that, that you guys have developed uh, for um, communicating, creating culture, creating connectedness amongst your team? Yeah, so I think one of the biggest learning this year is that to us, the transparency is very important as we discussed and transparency is even more important in a remote team if you don't see much of each other it is very critical that we get to communicate over and over again so an example is that in june and july 2016 we realized that we had a cash flow crisis where we realized that we mishandled our cash and as a result we had to let 10 people go within the team Mm -hmm. so certainly was a very, very unfortunate event. And it was very, very interesting and and, and tricky to manage at the same time because you wanted to communicate information to the team and uh, people departing and people staying. And and how you go about that, how you go about fairness and and 
transparency and communication in remote team through a tough time yeah. is something that we really had to learn for ourselves because up, up until now, we've been extremely lucky and blessed only to share good news and, and the best part <laughs> of our business. But I guess um, <laughs> sharing hardships and, and what's not going so well was, was certainly a, a huge learning experience for us. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, transparency is easy when all the news is good news. Uh, and and it's that the the difficulties is where the sort of the shame happens and you want to kind of go into more of a private mode by default. And uh, it's interesting to have that that discipline, <laughs> that precedence yeah. uh, of needing to be transparent, but uh, but it can be sort of uh, rough waters to navigate. Uh, yeah. Huh. Yeah, that was interesting to 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 see from the outside um, that you know that you were blogging. Uh, you collectively, Buffer was blogging about uh, what was going on, and and uh, it was really interesting. Um, Interestingly, one one of the consequences of this transparency and getting to share it with with uh, a lot of people is that the mistake we've made was entirely ours in the sense that we mishandled cash. So. People that were let go were let go because we had no more cash, not because they were not doing the job properly. So one of the results of this blog post is that we received around about 10, 10 different remote startups that say they'll be happy to get in touch with people that had just left because of cash reasons. And those could potentially be great candidates in their own remote startups. So the community really pulled together through this transparency event and 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 offer to assist departing people, which was very humbling to 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 witness. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I, I I've certainly found that um, transparency and sort of openness in that way um, really usually pays off, and and oftentimes in ways that you don't expect. Um, where you you post what's going on, and and experts will come in and say, "Oh, well, here's the fix," or "Here's what you did wrong," or you know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's a it's a really great way to learn. Whereas I think when when that shame and privacy come in, uh, there's there's not so much learning that happens. That's um, true. Yeah. How do you feel like um, Buffer, being a distributed company, has made things more difficult? What are what are the things that are more difficult? Um. Certainly, there's something. One, for sure, yeah. I think a few, a, few th- a few things are. I think when you think about the creative process, I'm thinking about design in particular and the serendipity that the creation process sometimes needs. Like two d- designers that are jamming on a whiteboard to think about uh, launching a new feature, for instance. So today you have great tools such as Envision, for instance, that mm-hmm. really help bridge a gap and for you to prototype remotely or a sketch and so on and so forth. But Truthfully, I think that building reports uh, remotely is tricky. I think that you, even though I'm very, very adamant about remote, and I think that's the way forward. I really think that you build remote, you build report face to face, and you maintain it remotely. What that means is that I think it's very, very key that we as a company keep meeting face to face at least once a year, if not twice a year. Yeah, because you can maintain the small talk and, and the fun and the chatters and the laughter you've had with people, but you still need to create that connection. So um, I, I think that meeting face-to-face is super helpful. And, and the second tricky part, I think, is um, when you're very, very different time zones, as I said, that like either you can be lucky where a project will speed up dramatically because people will essentially work through your night and the other way around for yourself, or uh, you can get caught into that, uh, you know, 
that person needs to act on it, but they're not coming online before, say, Monday night your time. So you may be delayed 72 hours due to time zones. So it's a, it's a double-edged sword, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that that... that um there, there is is this sort of primal innate need that we have to get to to stand in the same room together to build uh, rapport and trust, um, and and uh, it's really hard to substitute that. Even even though uh, we're getting better video conferencing quality and um, uh, virtual reality in the future. So like, I guess maybe with the VR, you could tell how, how tall people are and whether they have elbows and things like that. But I, there's just, I, I've found that really, you know, it's really important for building, building trust. I, I, um, um, you know, as a company that has clients, uh, um, when we start an engagement with a client at Lullabot, we really oftentimes like to go on site to kind of just, sure. it's that imp- looking them in the eye and kind of uh, um, building that. And, and, and I think that that's what retreats end up being about um, more than anything is that, is that personal connection. Yeah. That's absolutely right. And yeah. I think we, we're starting to see it with some of our clients as well. If you move up market and, or, or, or you do consulting where uh, rapport is very important, SaaS software as a service is often automated. But as you move towards people um, that you have bigger engagement with, I think it's both from a team member and a client's perspective, it's very important to be present. Yeah, yeah. And then the time zone thing is something... Uh, I think that it sneaks up on most of us that that uh, <laughs> start a distributed company. Um, Lullabot has basically made the decision to kind of only hire people in the Western Hemisphere um, because it just when when you have you know if you have a team that is let's say someone in London, someone yeah. in um, uh, Los Angeles, and someone in Melbourne, Australia, it's <laughs> there's like <laughs> so someone is going to be sleeping. Uh, on that team at, at at all times, or they're going to start shifting their hours and not work, um, you know, a daylight hours kind of schedule, um, which I guess is fine if that's part of the culture that you've created, um, part of the sort of agreement that you have with people. But uh, but I I think that um, humans are are by their nature. Uh, diurnal daytime beings, <laughs> and that's uh, absolutely right. I think that's that's one we yet to solve, and and certainly. Seeing the entire ecosystem, I think Yonder as a conference, seeing Lullabot, seeing Automatic, and 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 how different people, uh, either by themselves as freelancers or as a distributed companies, are handling it, it is super helpful to learn what's best for 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 each company there. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's the reason for this podcast, uh, and the reason uh, that that I started Yonder in general was was to just kind of talk to people. It's like, what what's everybody doing? How how does it work? <laughs> uh, I think that uh, you know you hear all these statistics that uh, you know by twenty twenty um, half of all white collar workers will be working remotely, um, and I think that's going to be horrible. <laughs> Because, you know, most companies, most people, you know, most management, they think, well, I'll just send them home with a laptop computer and expect that they will be productive and, uh, Mm. um, you know, feel a sense of um, culture and, and, um, you know, connectedness to the company. And and I think that um, without some forethought, uh, the opposite will happen. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. I think we really need to start thinking through that. And uh, it's it, it's fine to do one cheeky Friday afternoon working 
the home. Right. But if you really want to have a distributed workforce, I think there's, as, as you very well know, there's tons of thoughts to, to, to give. And, uh, and recor- recruiting accordingly is a big one as well. Yeah, yeah. So we talked about what, what, uh, what's harder in a distributed company. Let's talk about what's easier. Um, what, how do you feel like being distributed company has, has made things easier for Buffer? Yeah, so I think um, when I think about startups, I think in our, in our particular scenario, and, and especially since uh, Buffer's story started in San Francisco, uh, I oftentimes think about recruitment and, and you know getting the best talent you can. Um, in our scenario, the fact that we manage to be quite transparent about what we do and to open up the conversation a little bit wider, um, as a result, we've had applicants coming from anywhere and everywhere and we feel really blessed by um, the, I guess, the cultural diversity from the team and, and the inclusivity that, that, that stemmed from that as well. So it, it really feels great to be able to, to hire people from, from different places. And it has been a huge part of our story. So, so certainly huge props to remote work to be able to hire people from anywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, it's, it's funny. Do you find that you... Um, end up with more people from a certain area. Um, Lullabot, for some reason, has a lot of people from Colorado. <laughs> and, and not so many people from New York and San Francisco. And, um, and I'm not, it's not particularly intentional on our part? Or, or uh, do you find that, that those sorts of things happen for Buffer? Is there anything that you've observed like that in terms of where people are coming from? Yeah, that's that's a good one. I think um, depending on roles, it may vary a little bit, but oftentimes you'll find that people are can be outside of uh, major hubs, uh, namely, you know, cost of living in, in big cities such as New York City or or San Francisco, very very high. Where um, I would feel that many people that join Buffer have a very keen interest in work life balance and, and and be I guess pursuing a, a certain lifestyle, even though that has a different meaning for each and every person. So, so yeah, we think that um, we, we do have quite a few people that are outside of big tech hubs because there's a, I think there's a theme around optionality, like what, what are your options as well? Like in New York City, in New York, Boston, or San Francisco, if you don't work for Buffer, you can work for many other companies as well, mm-hmm. where um, you, you can often get a cool opportunity if you live in a city that doesn't have a huge tech scene as well. So. Uh, that, that tends to be a good way to attract people, cities that have a smaller tech scene, where where buffer can be a cool opportunity to to you know to do work that has a big impact, I guess. Cool. Um, well, to to sort of uh, start to wrap it up here, um, tell us a little bit more about about Remotive and kind of what you've learned through running that and and w- with the new. Um, Slack community, that's got to be interesting to see people uh, interacting in real time and kind of what's what's happening with all those things. Yeah, so uh, Remote has started from, from a thought where I really wanted to share a little bit more about learning about remote work. And, and after starting the newsletter and having tons, like literally hundreds of email conversations with subscribers, uh, today we have 20,000 people registered, um, the two biggest struggle we've really seen is the first one is motivation, and the second one is is guest productivity. Uh, distant third being finding a remote job. So people that are working together, 
uh, really need to, to, to have this serendipity, this small talk, this uh, interaction mm-hmm. back in their lives at time. You know, when you can just walk down the hall, tap a, tap a colleague on the shoulder and just ask a question, for instance. So we created about two weeks ago this Slack community where uh, we have um, 200 to 300 members right now. And we're recreating just that. If you want to share a good joke, you can do it there. Uh, tons of people are looking for, you know, engineers or marketers or, or, you know, could that be a full-time job or just a gig? And and on top of that, we, we talk about things that are very interesting to remote workers, but but pretty odd for other people, such as what's the best stand-up desk, for instance? <laughs> what's your, uh, you know, your, uh, your your headphones brand? What's right. your accessory? Like, and all the things that are, are very, very interesting, but at times you may just become a remote worker, but you don't necessarily have 20 friends that do that. It can be, it could be quite a exotic lifestyle for now. So we try to gather like many people and, and we see people coming from the US, that's like 50% of who we have, but also from Europe, from Asia, from, from Africa. So it's really starting to shape up as a global community. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of that like serendipitous kind of stuff that happens in an office where I, I remember, you know, going way back when when uh, the Mac was relatively new or, you know, each new version of the operating system coming out sort of had all these crazy new features, being able to sort of look over and see, oh, that there's a key command. I didn't, I've never seen it do that. How did you make it switch apps like that? <laughs> and, uh, and a lot of those kinds of things that you might pick up sort of serendipitously uh, um, don't happen so easily when you're working uh, from home without someone That's else. Right doing those things um and certainly sharing information about uh headphone brands and uh microphones and all those kinds of things is is something <laughs> i've i've become quite an expert over the years yeah i'm sure i'm sure you could, you could benefit from your knowledge as well <laughs> <laughs> great well uh well thanks for thanks for talking to us do we, do we cover everything or do you have anything else to add that sounds good, Jeff. Very happy we get to uh, to chat a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. It was so great to uh, to hear from you. Um, yeah, thanks for thanks for being on yonder. <laughs> Anytime. Have a great one. Thank okay, you. Okay, you too.